Hello everyone, welcome to the final episode for now of Magnificent Obsession. I'm Alicia Malone and this is the show where I talk to people who work behind the scenes working really hard to make the movies that we all can enjoy on the big screen. I say it's my last episode for now because I'm taking a little break. This will be the end of season one. Hopefully I'll be back soon with season two. I've just had so much work on as it's getting towards the end of the year and award season is starting to ramp up and I just can't give this the right amount of time that I feel it deserves. But I appreciate all of you listening and my final interview is a great one. It's also about Honey Boy, which is a film I spoke about in my last episode with cinematographer Natasha Breyer. This time I speak with editor Monica Salazar. In case you don't know what this film is about, Honey Boy was written by Shia LaBeouf when he was in court-mandated therapy, and he wrote about his time with his father as a child actor and the kind of trauma that it had on his life. It's a very brave film, very cathartic, obviously, for Shia LaBeouf. Fascinating to hear cinematographer Natasha Breyer talk about it. So now I wanted to speak about the other side of the film, which is post-production, and also speak with Monica about her journey to become an editor. This is Monica Salazar. Well, Monica, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. So before we get into Honey Boy, I'd love to know a little bit more about you. So you grew up in Mexico? Yes. Monterrey, Mexico. Were movies part of your life? Um, Yeah. I mean, I would go to the theater with my grandma and my mom every Friday, and my aunt would also come along. And it was the tradition. It, every Friday was my grandma's day, and we would mostly spend it at the movies. So it was like very Gilmore Girls. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So did you think at a young age that you wanted to do something in movies? E- yes, but it always felt like it wasn't possible because I just I did not grow up near it. the industry or no one near in my family did it. Um, so I was always very interested in watching the behind the scenes of movies. And as a kid, um, I was a big Potterhead. I am still, but (laughs) I would watch the behind the scenes of those and be like impressed by visual effects. I was like, it's like magic. It's, it's real life magic. So for a long time, I thought I really wanted to do that. And then my sister was like, but you're not going to be home if you go far away. And, and then I was like, oh, that's true. I'm going to study marketing and I'm going to grow up and like have a life here. And then around high school, when you're a rebellious little kid, I was like, nah, I really want to work in movies. Yeah. <laughs> Peace out. So when did you first discover editing? Or Because I, I remember like seeing Citizen Kane when I was fairly young and then reading about it. And then that really blew my mind to think about how the choice of shots and the way that they were sequenced actually made you feel something different. Um, I didn't know editing was a thing until, again, behind the scenes. Um, I don't know which one came, came first, the behind the scenes of Friends or the behind the scenes of another Potter special where they were talking about the edit room. Um, but that was just a passing thing. And in a class project, I I knew that there were editing programs in computers, and I volunteered as trivia to <laughs> to edit the project. 
And it was one little Adam's family thing that I had. We, we messed up on set and we messed up the timing of the do 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 do. Yeah. So it took me so long to figure it out in the edit room how to time it properly and cut to it had been an entire day and I like had this finished product and I was like, wow, people do this and this is so fun and the time just went by and I just really was deep into it and that was when I was like, I like editing. That's when I, that was high school, so that's when I threw away the marketing idea and then I decided to become a communications major. And I was just playing with iMovie back then or Windows Movie Maker mm -hmm. and doing the class projects in those. And it wasn't a, an actual class of this is how you edit. This is an in, this is an out, splice it in. Nothing like that. It was more about figuring out and what felt good, what felt wrong. And the Pixar exhibit came to my hometown and I realized that people do this for a living. And I loved, I've always loved animation and I was watching up and I saw that there was a credit that said edited by and I was like, oh, people edit animation? Like, oh, I want to do that. And I got home and Googled and I found that there was like a Pixar editing internship. And there was this like school that apparently was really good called USC School of Cinematic Arts. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I arrived to my communications, um, my, not the dean, because the dean uh, the communications of... Uh, like the head of communications. The head of the... Yeah. Yes. I arrived to the head of communications department and I'm like, I want to start an internship with Pixar. And he's <laughs> like, uh, you want to talk to the animation department? And I'm like, no, 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 for production. He's like, okay. And then I was like, people are not listening to me here. And then I just, I kept being like, I really want to do this. And then one of my cousins was like, why don't you just apply to film school? I was like well, they're not going to accept me. Like, I have zero experience. And I was just like, well, I'll try. And then they made a mistake and they accepted me. And then I was <laughs> like, well, they already said yes. And they're stuck with me. No mistake. No mistake at all. I, I think it was like a slip. I just slipped <laughs> through the cracks and just took advantage of it. So how much did you learn at film school? Did you find you already had those instincts or did you learn a lot more? No, I learned so much. Suddenly everything that was just an instinct, um, I understood it. I came here and it just I was very serious about wanting to be an editor. Everybody else wanted to be a director and a writer. And I was like, no, 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 I want to cut. So I started cutting everyone's stuff or assisting. And, and I just became much more technical about it as well and learned the software side and as well as the creative side. And I just had wonderful, wonderful mentors that just talk about story. And that was the key. Like mm. When I came here to school, it all became about story and how we just use it to tools. But it's really a craft. And how difficult was it to break into the industry after you got out of film school? It was really hard um, because I was an international student. So... I went to so many interviews to be an intern at these big companies. And as soon as I said I was an international student, the conversation just like died. Mm. Um, and it was very upsetting. I remember one day when I, um, I got off the phone with someone and it was just, they straight up told me, we cannot hire you because you're an international student. And I was like, but it's an internship and I'm allowed to do internships. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, we just, no. Is and it I just scared of visas and things. Is that I, it? I I think so, but it it's not like they were gonna have to deal with that. I mean, I was a full time student, and I was allowed. 
Um, so that was just something that felt very scary because it's just part of who I am. I cannot change it. Mm-hmm. Um, so after graduation, I was lucky enough to land an internship in a Mexican production company that was LA-based. So that just felt like I found my people. They were willing to give me a chance no matter if I wasn't, if, if I was an, in, uh, an international student. Yeah, that's good. And since then, you've done some incredible things, including Honey Boy, which yeah. is such a special film I got to see at Sundance. Oh, great. So tell me how you first got involved with Honey Boy. Did you know the director, Alma? No. Um, I wasn't lucky enough to know her um, her stuff, but it's just so beautiful, all her previous work before Honey Boy. I mean, Honey Boy is great, but everything she did before is also just as beautiful. Um, but no, it was actually uh, my mentor, that I met in through that first Mexican company that I was an intern for, he became uh, my editing mentor and a good friend of mine. And they came to him with the project, but he timing issues. Um, and he said, you know, this is Monica. She's ready. You should. I, I, I trust her and I think you should hire her. Wow. And yeah. Mentorship. Yeah. <laughs> it's so important to have these mentors. Yeah special in this industry. So what did you think about the project when you came on board? What what spoke to you the most about this film? It was really interesting. I remember reading the script and being a little scared. I was like, oh, this is such a hard story. It's it's beautiful and it's brave, but I was I was a little scared and intimidated by it. And then that's when I started looking at Alma's work. And she had done some amazing television commercials um and uh, i saw the trailers back then i had only seen the trailers for her documentaries and i saw her style and suddenly the script had a different voice Mm. and i could just tell it was gonna be something special yeah it's really interesting the way that it's shot. I was talking to Natasha Breyer, the cinematographer, and she was saying how they just had to be ready for when Shia was, would come on set and sometimes they'd only get one take at it because he was putting so much of himself into it. So how did that all affect your work when you got the footage? Well, it was just footage that was unique. Uh, in some ways, um, Alma comes from the documentary world and I had cut documentaries before and it was just stuff that took a little longer to put together because it's not your traditional wide, medium, close-up uh, setup. But at the same time, it gave the footage a unique texture and feeling. And feeling um, there's the one of my favorite scenes is the phone call, and that shot that scene is entirely handheld. And we did have a variety of takes for that one in particular but no take was the same Mm. but at the end of the day I think it just it takes a little longer to put together but once it's there it just speaks volumes the camera work adds a level of tension and you're just there in the editing making things a little tighter and 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 just playing with the rhythm and it's fun do you approach it like a documentary in a way I don't. I don't know if I approach it like a doc. I mean, I, I, um, I learned this theory from one of my mentors from school, actually called the lean forward moment, and it was um, Norm Holland who, 
who taught me this and the way that I would approach a scene and I, this is just the way I do it all the time is I find the beats that change the the scene. So one line when Otis realizes that he messed up or in this phone call, like what is it that makes that trigger? And is is in a script level, you identify those moments and when you're putting it together, you know you're working towards that one line and in editorial, what changes? Does the mm. changing pace, uh, does the pace change? Or um, do you suddenly hold on a take or go to a close-up, go to an insert for the first time? Um, so th that's what I tend to do. Um, but it's always, it's all different. Yeah. And what was it like seeing the raw footage when you know it's so personal for the actor? <laughs> I mean, it was, I just, I would just watch the dailies and all three of them were terrific. And the camera was constantly rolling. Um, there's a, this little video of uh, Lucas saying how there's no action. They wouldn't, they would just start whenever they felt like they could do it. And you just see these actors taking on these characters and, and I would just watch the dailies and want to give them a hug or sometimes yeah. I would just... And in a funk, my day would be just so, like, heavy. And it was, it was quite, it was quite a process, I think, for all of us that worked on this movie. Yeah, it seemed like the crew had to be very mindful of what he was going through. And for him, himself, Shia, just it's so cathartic, I think, in the end. But yeah, and it must the, have been tough. Yeah. And in the edit room, all... I really felt was a responsibility to to say to tell the story right and make it justice because it's such a personal uh, work of love mm. and it's in your hands and it was a constant conversation with Alma and my co-editor Dominic Laperier that we were constantly what how how far can we go is this is this music cue suddenly making you feel uh, it's it too heavy-handed, and and Alma was great about balancing, uh, dancing on the over the line, um, to not go into self-pity. Mm. Just wanted to tell a true and honest and raw story. Um, yeah. Yeah. What was it like to work with Alma? You know, she said, you know, she didn't go to film school, and she's proud of that, and how unconventional she is. So, what was it that collaboration like? <laughs> it was funny because. Uh, She's super proud of not having gone to film school, and I think she's a terrific director yeah. and, and and all that. But at the same time, I am like I am so proud of coming from film school because <laughs> I know that for me, film school was my way in. Um, so I, I would always laugh because um, because it was just so fun that that room. Because then also she would definitely challenge. I was like, we cannot do that. Or Dominic, because um, Alma, Alma was the one with the great idea of starting the movie with a montage. And Dominic is like, you cannot start a movie with a montage. And I was like, why not? And, <laughs> like, and I was like, let's just try it, guys. And it worked. Uh, so, so it was great having that. Um, just there's no rules. And, and I think that there's a fun part about knowing the rules that then you can break them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, what did you learn during the making of this movie? That it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, it really took us a while to get to where we are right now. 
Um, and you just have to trust the process and listen to the footage. And we would put out new cuts of this movie every two days. Because <sighs> um, we were constantly trying to find the balance between when we're going back and forth in time. So it, it it's a process. And you need the time and the... You need some, sometimes you need to step away a little bit and, and allow for it to, for the ideas to kind of like sink and process and yeah. Yeah, and do you have to sort of give it time and come back and watch it with fresh eyes? Yeah, there were scenes that we knew we hadn't cracked yet, but we, we would say this is, this is good enough for right now. We will come to it later and then we would move on to later moments of the scene. And then the great part, by the time that Dominic came along, it was so good to have another editor in the bay that we would just bounce scenes back and forth. And Alma is an editor. She cut she cut um, her documentaries herself. So, mm. so we were all constantly just trying to trying to make the scenes better by bouncing things off each other and Sometimes we would be watching the final version of the scene and Dominic would say, like, great job. I really like that shot. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think you put that in. He's <laughs> like, really? Did I? I thought you did that. So we found the moment that we as editors were disappearing. We didn't know wow. who, who put things together. We were just bouncing ideas off each other. That's going to feel good. Oh, yes, it was great. That's yeah. when you know that, that the movie is becoming its own thing. So when you're editing, what is the, the joy for you? Is it is it when you shave off a couple of frames and then suddenly it works? Or what do you enjoy the most? I I, I think my favorite moment is when you just, you just have an aha. I'm going to try this. And you, I just zone in and, and start moving things around. And and you find the right music cue. When, when something just cracks and, and, and you know that, you, that this is it. Uh, for for Honey Boy, I remember clearly one of my favorite aha moments where uh, figuring out that we were starting on the shot for Luca uh, of Luca's um, with Luca's storyline. Um, well, adult Otis. Um, when we found glimpses, the beautiful song, I played it for Alma. I listened to it in my car. I was coming out of an event that Alma had for Free the Bid. And then the song came out in my iPod and, and iPhone, whatever. And I listened to it and I started crying in the car. And then um, I just played it for Alma the next day. I was like, listen, I found this song that we have to use. And I played it for Alma. And then I turned around and Alma's just crying. And I was oh, like, wow. yes, this is it. This is the song. That was a great one. And then the cutting back and forth between young Otis and adult Otis in the, in the forest and the junkyard. That was another one that for me just those are the moments that you live for as an editor. Yeah, when something just Yeah. And I, you know, editors spend so long in dark rooms by themselves. So do you yeah. find yourself getting in that zone where you don't realize how much time has passed? Uh yes. When when something is just flowing, yes. But then when something you can't you cannot crack something, I think that I've never seen the clock move so slow before. <laughs> So, what do you do in those moments to reinvigorate yourself? I mean, ideally, I'll step away from the station. If I can, I'll walk, walk buy a coffee, come back, mm-hmm. try to look at it with fresh eyes. Um, but at the very least, just 
take some time from it. Because sometimes you just, you're so pressured, pressured to figure it out that you're blocked. Or if it's the end of the day, you stop and you come back the next day and suddenly it makes sense. They say, you know, that old adage is that uh, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> How much is that true? I mean, it, there's a truth behind that, but I, I, I don't like the phrase. Um, I think it's more of like, we'll figure out things in post, but fixing it is, um, there's just so much you can really fix. You cannot suddenly change the camera angle or you cannot suddenly create um, stuff that wasn't, you cannot change the readings. If, if you recorded a reading, that's that's the reading it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can through ADR or stuff like that, but it's not, it's not always the solution. Something feels disconnected when it's not just true of the footage. Um, but yeah, we do fix it in post, but... It shouldn't be always yeah. what you're looking for. It shouldn't just be like, oh, yeah, we'll get it later. It's yeah, fine. It's Don't worry fine. about it. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't get a wide. Oh, fine. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll suddenly, we'll like, expand the camera and get all this information we didn't <laughs> record because we will need it. What would you say is the primary job as an editor? Supporting your director. Um, I mean, yes, cutting shots a b adding some music making the emotion making the scene work but you can make the scene work and if your director is feeling really insecure about it they're not they're not gonna be able to see it so i think that the editor's main job is just being a support system for the director and and listening to what their vision is and trying to have that come across and then collaborate with them like say I think this is a better way to go about this let's try these other options and and just making it a conversation can you tell me about uh the blue collar post collective yes yeah tell me oh, about yeah. that yes so. uh so blue collar post collective is a nonprofit organization that started in New York some years ago it was this tiny group of people that work in post-production and it's about Um, It was just about bringing opportunity to those that don't really have a network. This industry is so much about who you know, and usually the people that get in at least fast enough is because they have some connection to the industry. So Blue Color Post started with just let's build a network of all of us post-production professionals, and then from New York it expanded to L.A., and then from LA, it also expanded to groups in London. It's an online community, but meetups started popping up all around the world. Now we have meetups in London, and there's some starting in Australia. And it's just about giving the tools to people that otherwise wouldn't really have them. And like I've said, I really believe in mentorship and um, one of my professors was part of the board and he's the one that introduced me to to the blue collar post collective and i just see it as a way to meet people and to pay it forward and as well pay it forward. Yeah, yes so you can become a mentor to someone else yes yes and there's also the idea that we we are all mentors we can all be mentors it doesn't matter what level professionally you are because there's always someone that is going through the things that you have gone through thank you so much monica thank you so much for having me this has been really fun 
a huge thank you to Monica for coming over to my place, even though she's allergic to cats, and sitting and chatting with me about her work on Honey Boy. I wish her all the very best for the future. She's a wonderful woman to speak to and very talented, as that film shows. I hope you all get a chance to see Honey Boy. It's in theaters right now. And I want to thank you all so much for listening to my podcast over the last almost year, about 11 months I've been doing this. This has been truly a labor of love. I created the show just because I wanted to speak to people below the line and find out more about their jobs and give them the spotlight that they deserve. And I've had so much fun doing it, you know, in my spare time and between all my other stuff. So I just want to thank everyone who has commented, who has liked, who has subscribed. As I said at the beginning of the show, I hope I'll be back soon with season two. But in the meantime, there's a wealth of episodes for you to enjoy, 25 in total for season one. I got to speak to some incredible people. I learned a lot. I had a lot of fun doing this. So until we meet again, I'm Alicia Malone. Bye.